0: Bibles, your tablets, your phones, your whatever you got, your notes. Would you bring them out right now? We're going to get into Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to be following up. Last week we talked about uh, the title was "Keep Stepping." Remember, it's one thing to activate your faith, the first step, but really what really matters is how you run the race and how you finish well. And last week, if you remember, in, in Hebrews chapter 12. We talked about focusing on Jesus, right? The author and the perfecter of our faith. And one of the things that we talked about was that we would build a gang of people around us that help us to keep going. You guys remember that? The importance of having people that really have your back and really are going to push you. You can be real with the way that Jesus was with his crew that he had around him. So... In order to live this full life and this life of endurance in our faith, it's not just like a hit and run, like, well, I'm excited about the Lord, and then I kind of give up, and I wander around, and then I come back to him. But one that just keeps going despite whatever circumstances come our way. He gives a little insight in the next few verses. Um, He basically lays down last week what we talked about is keep running. Run the race with endurance. But then today, what we're looking at in verses 18 through 29, the author of Hebrews Talking to Christians now. Remember this. This is people that know Jesus, but they're kind of on the fence as to whether they should maybe go back to the old style religion, Old Covenant, Old Testament law, all of that, or if they should stick with New Covenant, grace, Jesus. They're kind of like, well, what do we do here? On the fence. The author is writing to say, hang in there, Christian. Hold on. Jesus is all you need in life. Be anchored to him, right? That's the name of our series. Be anchored. This hope we have is an anchor, an anchor for our souls. It is it's firm. It's sure. It's steadfast. Basically, the, the, the whole idea of the book of Hebrews is Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the priest, than the system of law, than all the old religion stuff. It's about this relationship with Jesus Christ. So as he's saying this... He's been giving us warnings. You remember we've been talking about different warnings in Hebrews? And each of them kind of have to do with, hold on, don't fall away. Hold on, don't reject. Don't don't drift off. Don't get distracted. Keep holding on. Be anchored to Jesus. Well, here's the last warning he gets in today. The warning is this. It's in 18 through 29. You're going to read it, but it's not necessarily one succinct statement. It's kind of, I'll paraphrase what the warning is. It's this. It's talking to Christians. He's saying, listen up. Listen. In other words, don't like just kind of like, oh yeah, I hear it, but I don't really do anything about it. He's saying, listen up. You've got a really good thing going here. And if you keep the right spirit, the right heart, the right attitude, then your lives are going to be unshakable. And so the title of today's sermon is Unshakable. Is how can we live lives that the world throws everything at us, right? And we live in a fallen world, and we've got a very real enemy out there that's trying to throw us off our game so that we get our eyes off of God. Right? So we know that we deal with that kind of a shaking in our lives. But also, we talked about last week, that God actually brings and allows testing in our lives. He shakes up a lot of our lives as well because he wants to see what we're made of. He wants us to be shaken to the point that we would run to an anchor that is solid and secure in our lives. We'd have relationship with him. If we didn't have the wind and the storm and the waves and the rain, why would we even have need for an anchor in the first place? Are you guys hearing me? So he allows the shaking. So we live in a world of shaky circumstances, things that hit us, and threaten to take away our faith or threaten to just overwhelm us and throw us off of our game and destroy our lives. And and let's talk about some of the practical stuff that we face. If there's storms that hit in life, sometimes we do it to ourselves. Make a dumb decision, oh man, our lives get shaken. Sometimes it's just an attack, sometimes it's just life itself. But I wanna talk right now, so it's on the top of our minds right now. What are some of the things in our lives that shake us and that could, that could rock our world, that can like frighten us, give us fear, anxiety, depression, hurt. What are some practical things that you and I deal with that shake us? Let's just hear some of them. Anybody? No, loss, of loss of a job. Someone else said health, I believe, over here. Yeah, health problems. You, you get sick, uh, uh, cancer, you know, there's a lot of health problems. Loss of a job. What else? When something, happens to our kids. something happens to your kids or a loved one. And you're, there's nothing you can do sometimes, and you just feel like, ah, and it shakes you. Something else. Come on, what do we deal with? Death, marriage problems, yeah. Even beyond marriage, what about just relationship? Sometimes you just have friends, and suddenly they're not your friends anymore. They turn on you, betray you, gossip, you know, you're just going, what, what happened to the relationship? You know, broken relationships, what else? The love of money, the love of money right? Too much is invested in money of your life. And so when you lose money or something happens, it, it rocks your world. I mean, these are real things, right? What else do we doing? Stress. Stress. Moving, to a Moving to a new environment. Yeah. These are all kinds of things. What else? Let's, I mean, let's, let's be real. This is stuff that you and I on the daily. Bad role models. Bad role models. People that lead you astray, let you down. Yeah, that's a big one. That's devastating. Sometimes we bank too much on people and not on Jesus, and we get let down. Someone else over here. I see a hand. Sin. 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 in general, right? Temptation. Something looks good. It feels good. You want to do it, and then you find out you jumped into it, and then everything collapses. There's consequences, right? What else? Theft. Theft? Did you say theft, too? Was that the word? I heard two thefts at one time. That's great. You guys should be friends. I should say You guys both share that anger. I got stolen from you, someone ripped me off. That is one of the worst feelings in the world, isn't it? When something is stolen, you feel so violated. What about this other ways of violation? Physical abuse, verbal abuse, molestation, stuff. A lot of us have those issues in our lives. We've been abused by people in one way, shape, or another. And you know what? I'm not making any any light of this stuff. This stuff rocks our world. This stuff shakes us to our core. Sometimes it's stuff we did to ourselves. Sometimes it's from another source and we're just the victim. Either way, we don't live in a perfect world, right? But the Bible is promising us here today that we actually can live lives that are unshakable that we actually, as Christians, have the power in us right now, the potential to live unshakable lives. That means we still get shaken, we still get surprised, we get stunned, we get hurt, we get all of that stuff, but that we can, as it says in Ephesians 6, that after it's all said and done, just to stand, that we can still be like, I'm still here. Someone wrote me this past week on Facebook and said, hey, I just wanna tell you thanks for, for who you are as a role model, we respect you. You know, I used to be in your youth group years ago. I haven't been a youth pastor in this church for like eight years, nine years or something. Someone was in my youth group and they said, I remember you were back in the day living it, preaching it, you were here. And then I went out and I wandered around and I went up and down and I did my thing in life. But now I've come back all these years later and you're still here and you're still teaching and you're still believing and you're still, you're still steadfast. Thank you for being an example. And so part of me is like, you have no idea what I've been through <laughs> in the past year. Yeah, you did your thing, but you have no idea that I have been shaken as well. But then the other part of it is God going, yeah, but she's right, Carl, you are still here. You're still standing, you're still teaching, you're still believing and holding on to God. And it's not easy. And we can't make light that it's like, I know Jesus, so whatever trials come away, no big deal. No, it, it shakes us. But we don't have to collapse. We don't have to crumble. We don't have to throw in the towel. We don't have to give in. Are you guys excited to hear a message on that this morning? Because I believe I got something good in scripture to share with you guys this morning, how we can be unshakable people. So here's where the author picks up now in verse 18. And you got to remember, he's basing it on what he had just talked about earlier in the chapter about have endurance, keep running. You can do it like you're in it for the long haul. And then he makes more of an argument to convince them and to warn them, look, here's how I know you can keep running and have endurance and ultimately be unshakable. And he says this in verse 18, where I think he's just really saying, take God seriously. He says, You can keep running the race because, and here's where he starts, you have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. So he's reminding them a little bit of their uh, spiritual history. Of their, of their history with God. He goes, hey, you can keep running the race because you're not in this situation anymore. What situation is that? He goes back to Moses in Mount Sinai. when When God came down to the top of Mount Sinai, Moses had led all of the people out of Egypt, God's chosen people, Two and a half million people strong in slavery in Egypt. He brought them out, leading them to the promised land. God did the crazy miracle, parting of the Red Sea. They went through. They're like, oh my gosh, God is amazing. This is awesome. Moses is leading us out to where God has for us, the promised land couple months go by, they're all camped in this huge plains around uh, Mount Sinai, this mountain, where God started meeting with Moses on the mountaintop to talk to him, to give him the laws. Hey, you know what? Moses, tell them this. If these people obey me, I'll be their God. I'll take care of them. I'm a big, awesome God, but I have love for these people. I want a relationship with them. So Moses would tell them. And then God came down. This is what's being described here. God actually came down on Mount Sinai, his presence in all of his majesty and who he was. And it talks about this it described it hey you're not like our our ancestors back the physical mountain of Mount Sinai where there was flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and a whirlwind. He said, for they heard an awesome trumpet blast, he's describing the scene, and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. Can you imagine that? Some voice came booming off the mountain, so loud, they're freaked out. There was earthquake, there's fire, there's just all this, they're just like, ah! Here's God saying, this is how big I am, by the way. This is, I'm a serious God, I'm a big deal here. And he's speaking to the people so, the voice was so terrible that they're just like, ah, it says, what does it say right there? It says they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command that said, if even an animal touches this mountain, it must be stoned to death. All of this took place in Exodus 19. You can go and read it. He's saying, I'm so holy, don't even let your Your pets come near this mountain, or they must be killed. Don't any of you come near to me. I am a holy and huge and mighty and tremendously terrifying, omnipotent God. And it says in verse 20, Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. He basically wet his robe. That's how the people are just like, oh my gosh, you know, this is God. And here's where the the Hebrew author is taking us. He's reminding these people who are Christians. He goes, don't take this stuff lightly. Here's my warning to you guys. We're talking about sticking with Jesus or not. Remember the God that you serve. Remember he's big. Remember, he's scary. Remember, he's threatening. Remember, in the old days, you couldn't even come close to him. In the Old Testament, he didn't just show up and talk to people. In the old days, he spoke through prophets, people like Moses. And the people had to go to the prophets and the priests in order to speak to God. Are you guys hearing me? It was a different situation back in the Old Testament. So again, he's saying there was a big, scary God in in Psalm 8, verse 4. It says this, what are mere mortals that you should even think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. He's reminding us, take God seriously. I hope when you come to church here, you're not playing church. I hope when you come to receive the word of God, you realize that there is a very real living God that is bigger than all of creation, that at the snap of his fingers, at the blink of his eye, the whole universe could go away. He's a big, big God. Even when he came to Mount Sinai to talk to those people, he had to make himself small to talk to them. But he was still incredibly threatening and ominous. And he loves us. He wants a relationship. But man, we're, we're living in holy fear. We can't even come close to him. But then he says this. He's basically going, you're not at that place anymore. Remember how God used to be with us? He's not like that anymore. Look at verse 22. He says, our new relationship with God we have a new relationship with God that's changed because of Jesus. Now, understand this. God is not a God of the Old Testament different and a God of the, Old Testament, the New Testament now. He's same God, same power, same might, same authority. But you know what's happened? Our relationship with him has changed because of Jesus Christ. I want you guys to catch that. He's not any less omnipotent. He's the same God, but our relationship changed. How? Well, it says this in verse 22. No, you're not at that physical mountain. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. In other words, you've come to a spiritual place, that you're in the kingdom of God now, spiritually. You're not at a physical mountain. You're in a place where you're right in God's presence now. You are right now citizens of heaven. You haven't died and gone there yet, but you're citizens in the kingdom of God, and you're now living in this city of God. It goes on and it says, you've come to the assembly of God's firstborn children. In other words, we're his kids now. He's not a far off, distant, threatening God. He's actually our father now. So everything changes whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself. Old days, you came to the priest or the prophet who went to God for you. Don't even touch my mountain. Back off here's the here's the new relationship we have with god is he's on your side you can come directly into his presence you have a relationship with father god himself who's the judge over all things you have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect you have come to jesus the one who mediates the new covenant between god and people unto the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of abel okay he's telling them guys this is serious We don't have that old relationship anymore where we're fearful of God, where he's distant, threatening. Because of Jesus, God that we used to be afraid of, we're now a friend of. He's now our friend, he's our father. We used to be fearful of God, now we have the family of God. You can come right to him. We used to have to go to someone else and be scared if if we were performing well enough and it was a fearful kind of service unto him. Now it's like you live your lives for him and with him because he loves you. He's there with you. He's personal. His Holy Spirit is residing in every single one of us. Our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So the God out there became the God right here. One of his names, Emmanuel. God with us, right? That's what we sing on Christmas time. We're going to be talking about that in our Christmas Eve service. I'm excited for that. God with us. Everything's changed. So he's, he's, he's basically trying to say this. Do you understand the privileges you have in being a Christian? Do you think you just go to church because it's a religious thing and it's a positive vibes and good influence? Or do you understand that the living God that created everything has now become your friend and he's got your back and he's your father? And, and Jesus paved the way for you to have all of the privileges, you're now on the inside inner circle with God. Do you guys understand that? Here's here's what it's like. When I read this, I I sometimes think, yeah, yeah, I see the big picture, but I got to like understand it in ways that I can relate to, right? Because I'm a simple guy and I got to, God, make it easy for me to understand this stuff. So God gave me this thought. When I was in like seventh and eighth grade, And I started surfing down at Kailua Shore Breaks, down in the the Bay in Kailua, Kalamas and all of that, if you will. Anybody ever been down to the beach down there? Kailua in the Shore Breaks, we call it. The waves never get huge. They're always like about this big at the biggest. It's always windswell, but it's a great close place if you live in Kailua to go and practice surfing. So myself and Pastor Tom, you know, Tom, Tom, um, actually when I I first met him, I I used to call him Tom Francis because his middle name is Francis. Try that one out on him when he comes back. He's on vacation right now. Next week, hey, Tom Francis. He'll, he'll appreciate that. It's a masculine name. But um, we hung out in 7th and 8th grade, and we would surf there all the time. So I grew up surfing in there. And the, one of the problems we had was when we go to the beach, it wasn't a problem, but it was just kind of a little intimidating deal, was there was always this one guy that was surfing, this local guy, that was always surfing kind of right by us in the same spot. And he was like a gnarly looking guy. Like he was this, he's the kind of guy that maybe he doesn't look like that really, but this is how I always perceived him. And what I thought is he always had the eyebrows down kind of guy like this, you know, and like, no matter if he's happy or like, Hey, how's it going? You know, just eyebrows are down all the time, and we'd be in the water, and we'd just be like kind of side-eyeing. Eyebrows are just like this, you know, like looking at us. We're like, dude, that guy's scary. And we heard story. Who is that guy? Well, oh, I heard stories. I heard he like licked five guys one time at a party, and this and that. Like he had like this ominous reputation, right? Holy, this guy can fight. He looks nuts. Like we don't want to paddle over into his area. He might beat us up for being close to him. And, and, but, and yet at the same time, there was like a, a respect of like, oh, but he surfs good. Yeah, oh, yeah, he surfs good. We want to surf like that. Oh, look at the girls he bring- to the beach, you, wow, he's a, oh, yeah, right on, yeah, but then the eyebrows, like, you know, and so it's, like, well, we, we had to play it safe, right, we were fearful, we were intimidated of this guy, and his reputation, and who he was, and all of this, and so we would just do our little surfing over the side, and I remember one time, he caught a wave, like, all the way right by me, I tried to get out of his way, and he actually, like, ran me over, right, and instead of me, like, whining about it, I'm just, like, thank you, <laughs> you know, like, I'm not gonna rock the boat, I don't want to do anything wrong, this guy is, like, nuts, right? And then after a year, a couple years of this or something, something happened. One day, the guy rolled into church. And me and Tom are just kind of like, oh, no, man. What's this guy? Is he coming for you, me? I don't know, man. Why is he here? And he rolled into church, but still eyebrows, right? Praise God. You know, but he's, he's walking around. But we saw him beginning to worship and pray. And, and, and he came with other like leaders, people we looked up to and stuff. And then, and then surely, short, short, shortly after that, we actually got the opportunity to meet the guy, right? And we're like, oh, hey, hey, how you doing? You know, like, just with fear and trembling. We, we met him, and then, like, we started to build a relationship and realized he's our friend, he's good, but he still looked gnarly, but he's still, like, you know, he's good. And, and now everything changed because now we're friends with this guy we used to be scared of before. So back in the day, I never wanted to even surf near this guy because he was too threatening or whatever but now it's like i want to surf with him everywhere because now i'm on the inner circle so if i'm surfing with him i'm going to get waves because no one else is going to want to come around so i'm surfing with him every chance i get right i mean he and because i was on the inner circle i was in bible study with him i prayed and talked to him now it's like nothing changed he still had all the power and everything but now i'm on the other side you guys see what i'm saying here he even taught me to to drive aggressively and, and what i could get away with when i was with him like, when I just got my license, I'm in 10th grade. Give him a ride back from Bowles one day to the windward side. Hey, can I catch a ride? I'm like, I'm not going to tell you no. Of course you can. Jumps in the car, and we're driving, and, and it was like afternoon traffic, and this long stream of cars going down the freeway. And I'm like, ah, traffic. And he's all, yep, go around. I was like, traffic, He go, go around. I'm like, what? Jump out, go all the way down there, then hop in right before the thing. I was like... I've never done that in my life. I would never do that. You know, I'm small. Look at me. Like, no, I can't do... You know, but I'm not going to argue, right? Because why? Eyebrows. <laughs> go around. So I go around. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I'm driving, passing all the cars. And he goes, okay, right about now, jump in. I was like, oh, okay. And so I jump in, cut this guy off. And I'm just... Sure enough, the guy behind... bam, 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 And I'm just, like, freaking out. But I got eyebrows next to me, right? And he just... Rolls on the window, what? <laughs> Horn stops. And I'm sitting there and I'm just like, hey, this is pretty cool. I'll give you a ride anytime you want, man. Come on out, you know? And here's the deal I want you to catch, because this is what the Hebrew author is trying to say. God before, scary, big, distant, far off. He loved you, but it was hard to tell, and you worshiped him with laws and with going to the priest and all of that. We're not there anymore. This is what he's trying to say. Here's why I'm making a case for faith. We don't serve that God anymore. He's still the same, but stuff has changed with us. Why? Because of this anchor that we hold on to named Jesus Christ. What he's done now, now you're on the ends, and that guy's riding in your car with you. In fact, he's in you everywhere everywhere you go, your body's a temple for the Holy Spirit. So now he's your father, he's your friend, he's got no less of that power and intimidation that he had before, but now it's on your side, and he's got your back. Are you guys hearing me today? So the Hebrew author is saying, hey, everything has changed. This is good. You can run the race because you're not at that physical mountain anymore, you're in the spiritual mountain, you're in the, the family of God. So this is an exciting thing. Therefore, he goes on to the next few verses, based on this cool relationship we have, you can actually actually live in a world that's shaky, and you can be unshakable. And here's where he gets into the to the heart of it. He says in verse 25, be careful. Here comes the warning. Be careful that you don't refuse to listen to the one who's speaking. Hey, he used to be like that. Now he's like this. Make sure you listen to him. isn't he cool make sure you listen to him he goes don't refuse to listen to the one who's speaking for if the people of israel did not escape in other words there were consequences when they refused to listen to moses the earthly messenger then we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven if we reject what god is saying there's going to be consequences we're not going to get away from because god is big and he's holy and his will will be done so he's saying, so pay attention, stay on his side. Don't refuse when he's, he's speaking to you. Listen. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth, but now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake, which means to agitate, to unsettle, to cast down, not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a devouring fire. He's an unstoppable force. He's going to do his thing. And only the things that are of him that are spiritual things will remain. Everything else is going to be shaken and wiped out and rolled over because God is a holy God. Here's the promise he's making here is that we need to listen to God because he shook Sinai, remember how scary that was? The fire, the earthquake, yeah. Well he's gonna do even a bigger shaking. And it says this in verse 28, we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable. You know what that means? It's both present tense and future tense. Future tense is eventually Jesus is gonna come back, judgment day is gonna happen, God is gonna shake all the heavens and all the earth, everything that we know is gonna be wiped away, wiped out except the things of the Holy Spirit, the things of God, the things of his kingdom, our hearts, what we do for him, how we live our lives for him. Even in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, and now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. He's talking about everything else at one point in time, future, it's all gonna be wiped out. Jesus is coming back. Everything is gonna be wiped out. God's gonna judge everything. All the material, temporary stuff, the selfish stuff that we put our hope in, all of that's gonna go away. But what remains is your heart for God and the things in the spiritual world and who we are in connection to him. So it's a future promise. We're receiving a shaking one day, but it's actually a present tense. We are receiving, we have received an unshakable kingdom because now we're in the kingdom of God. We're in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And there is a daily shaking that's happening in our lives because God's allowing the storms to come because he wants us to grab onto the anchor. He wants us to have the kind of things that will remain as he shakes this world around us, as we deal with all of the stuff that we talked about earlier. Finances, hurt, loss, uh, loss of uh, relationship, all of that kind of stuff. It's shaking, so where do we stand? He wants us to be unshakable. See, the thing is, seasons will come in life. Remember we talked about that last week? There's going to be shaking, and God allows it, because he's trying to refine us and to bring the good stuff out of our lives. But we've got to understand, we're going to go through hard times. Because if there wasn't the wind, the waves, and the storm, why would we need an anchor in the first place? If our lives were completely comfortable, why would he need to send the comforter of the Holy Spirit? If we didn't need help, why would he call the Holy Spirit our helper? He knows that we're going to get shaken, but he wants to be the one that we hold on to, to to become unshakable. But it says this in describing what it is and how to be unshakable. Well, it talks about it, first of all, in verse... um, the top of 25, where what are the things we can do? Here's, I I believe that I see three things in here that we can do and we can work on in our lives that will make us unshakable. The first one is, it says, do not refuse to listen. So first one, be a good listener. If you're taking notes, one of the ways to make your life unshakable, be a good listener to the things of God because life gets shaky when we don't follow instructions, right? When we think we know better and we try to assemble the toy or whatever, and it comes out all backwards and broken and looking weird, we didn't follow the instructions, you didn't follow the directions. Well, it's the same in our lives as life gets unshaky when I try to do things my own way and I try to be my own boss. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 7 in verses 24 to 27. He says, those that listen to my teaching and obey my instructions then it's like you're building your house on a solid rock. And if the wind and the waves and everything comes along your way, the floods, it all passes away. And guess what? You're still standing. You're not going to collapse because you listened and obeyed the teaching that I had for you. So you're secure. You're unshakable. But he says, if you're someone that listens but doesn't really listen and doesn't obey, then he goes, it's like you built your house on the sand. So when the waves come, the winds come, guess what? No foundation. You're done your life's gonna collapse. You are gonna feel like, God, where are you? I don't understand all this, but it's not God to blame. You decided to reject what he's trying to say. So Jesus is saying, one of the ways that we can have unshakable lives, keep our lives from getting shaky, is just rely on what he's telling you to do. Even if it doesn't look like it's making sense and you're going through the winter season in your life, hold on to him and those storms will pass and you'll still be standing, amen? It's like this, my daughter, six years old, Sammy, we got this little exercise bike my wife got at a really cool garage sale where we're helping raise money to send one of our youth kids to Japan on a mission trip. We got this really cool old school um, exercise bike. You know like the little stationary bikes, but it's it's old school. I I don't even care about riding it. It just looks cool. It's literally metallic gold Schwinn old school from like the 70s or something. It just looks so retro and cool in my garage. I just like to look at it, not even use it, right? And really, uh, my wife tries to get on it and use it, but the kids are the ones that always just think it's a toy, right? So they're always jumping on it. So first time the six-year-old gets on it, She's going for a little while and of course her legs are like only this long or whatever, you know, not adult legs. And so she eats it and brr, gets, you know, burned or cut or hit in the shins or whatever. And she's ah crying and we're like, okay, there you go. Learned your lesson. We told you not to go on that. You're too short. You can't do it. Sorry, it's not for you. Learned a lesson. Ah, oh, good. Takes care of that. But sure enough, you're six years old, you don't listen. So a couple of weeks later, hops back on the bike, same deal. Ah! You know, boom, again, like, ah. i are like, okay, come here, you know, put a band aid, everything. But what happened here? What do we learn? You need to listen to mom and dad. You don't listen, you get hurt, right? So we're thinking, okay, finally, that one hard head. Two times I got a warner, right? Then sure enough, real hard head. Third time happens, she gets hurt. She's like, ah, oh, and instantly she knows she's guilty. I know, I'm sorry, I didn't listen, I didn't listen, right? And I'm like, well, not listening is it gonna put skin back on your legs, Suffer. No, I'm a good dad, so I don't do that, right? It's like, oh, come here, honey, you know, whatever. But hey, what did we learn here? Here's what we learned here. If you listen to someone that knows more than you, your life is better. You keep the, the skin on your shins, and your, you know, life is good. Here's a basic thing. You want unshakable lives? When Jesus is saying, hey, you're, that relationship and where you're going with that, why don't you do it my way? I promise it'll work out. Even if it looks shaky, I promise it'll work out. And you go, nah, I'm going to do it my way. I don't listen. Don't obey. And God goes, well, good luck with that. Watch where it's going to lead to. The way you manage your money, your finances, investments or, or things that you choose to buy. God's going, hey, why don't you do it this way? Why don't you honor me with some of that wealth? Why don't you manage it in a wise way? Be a good steward. Nah, God, this thing looks so cool. I'm just going to buy it anyway. Well, you know what? Good luck with that. How's your, how's your house on the sand coming along, right? He's saying to us, you want unshakable lives? Then you got to listen to Jesus. So that's the first thing I see, is we got to make sure we listen. And how do we listen? Oh, you pray and listen for his voice. Holy Spirit speaks. You learn to listen to him. But you know, the other way is more than like it seems like that's a spiritual way. I'm not there in my maturity to hear from God yet. Yeah, I get that. But guess what? He's given us a book of instructions. Did anybody notice that? You have something called a Bible. B-I-B-L-E. Basic instructions before leaving earth. He gave us the instruction manual. <laughs> well, I, I'm, not, I'm not listening to God. I can't hear him. Well, that's okay. He wrote a book about it. You can just read it. It's easy every single day. Literally, we have an instruction manual. And then so many of us are, I don't hear God. I don't know what he wants me to do. You been reading your Bible? No. Uh, hello, instruction manual. It's right there. If you're not in your Bible, you're not reading, that's one way that you're actually rejecting God and refusing to listen when he's speaking. Are you guys hearing me? Get that Bible out. Get that Bible app going. Light it up on the daily. God speaks through that. He's got answers to all of the questions we have. But guess what? You want a shaky life? Then don't listen to someone that knows more than you. You want an unshakable life? Listen to someone that wrote the book on the subject, and he knows how to be your foundation and how to get you through the storms. Amen? Amen? So listen. Here's the second thing. This is a big one. This is the big one to me. Be thankful for what you have. It says it right there back in um, verse 28. You're, since we're receiving a kingdom that's unshakable, let us be thankful. That's the first thing. Be thankful for what you have. Because life gets shaky when we're consumed with what we don't have. When all of our thoughts and our focus is on what we don't have instead of what we do have, life gets shaky. We focus on the negative. We send ourselves into anxiety, doubt, depression, fear, anger, resentment, unforgiveness, all of that stuff. Why? Because we're focused on the stuff that we don't have instead of being focused on what we do have. It can be as much as this. I have a lot of good stuff in my life but my eyes are focused on i want a better house i want a better car i want a better this i want more money i need this i mean that if i'm focused on all of that then i'm missing out on the blessing that i do have and that taints my whole perspective on life it changes everything and i start getting unshaky because i don't have all of that stuff and i focus on what i don't have which makes my life shaky but it could be this because that's a simple one the greed and and the pride and stuff like that and what we don't have But I think it goes a little farther than that when we're we're, we're not thankful because of stuff that we're focused on that we have lost or that's been taken away from us. Now, this is a big one. This is different than just like, oh, I wish I had a nice... This is the stuff where, God, everything was going cool and I lost my job. And you have a tendency to focus on that, right? I'm not saying that it doesn't hurt. I'm not saying that there's stuff out there that doesn't shake us. God, everything's good in my life and how come that person had to die? How come my relationship had to blow up? I thought I was friends with them. I thought I had a good thing going. How come my my boyfriend is mad at me or my my marriage is doing this? Like, what? This has been taken away from me. And you're bummed and you're grieving over it. Why did I have to get cancer, God? I don't understand that. Why is so-and-so that I love sick? Why why did, did I have to move away and I'm uncomfortable in this? Why is people ruining my reputation? Let me tell you, that stuff is real and it hurts. I'm not making light of it. That stuff is bad. That's the stuff that shakes us to our core. But if we are consumed with that, we have a chance of losing all the future blessings of God because we're so busy, distracted, and consumed by what we've lost rather than being thankful for what we have, which opens the door to further blessing in our lives. Are you guys hearing me? Here's a story. I I love this story. I'm going to read this story from the Old Testament that talks about this. Here's the scenario. King David, man after God's own heart, greatest king of Israel had some kids. One of those kids was Absalom. Turned out to be kind of a spoiled brat. David probably should have disciplined him a little bit more earlier on. He grew up. He started getting greedy, and he goes, you know what? I want dad's place. I want the throne. I could do it better. Started secretly rallying all the people of Israel. Look how cool I am. Look how good I am. Look at how junk that guy is over there, right? And he goes, I, I want to take over. So eventually, he rallied enough people, got everybody on his side, and he chased David out of the throne, out of the 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 king kingdom of israel he was hiding in another city and absalom's going i'm making a run for this thing we kicked him out we're taking over to the point he got so caught up in the pride and the greed that he said we're gonna even go after my own father we're gonna kill him yep let's do it he's so twisted to the point he wanted to take over he's ready to kill his own dad and so Absalom, the son's armies, went to battle against who David still had on his side, the troops, one day. And he had, David had his trusted commander, Joab, the leader of his armies. And they went to battle against his son's armies. And David said, you know, whatever you do, just, just don't kill my boy. I know he's a traitor. I know all of that stuff. Just, just please don't kill him. Can you just take care of him? And sure enough, the battle went down. And what actually happened was Absalom actually did Get killed in the battle. Even though David didn't want it to happen, his his guys, his troops, they're always like, "No, we got to take this guy out." So they killed him. So they come back with victory. Man, we've overthrown all the rebel forces. David, you're going to get your kingdom back. People lay down their life for you. This is so good. And David is in mourning. Why? Because his son died. He heard about it. He's grieving. So in 2 Samuel verse 19, chapter 19, verse 1 it says, "Word soon reached Joab, the king's commander." And that the king was weeping and mourning for Absalom, his son. As all the people heard of the king's deep grief for his son, the joy that day's victory of that day's victory was turned into deep sadness. They crept back into town that day as though they were ashamed and had deserted him in battle. The king covered his face with his hands and kept on crying, O oh, my son Absalom, O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Then Joab went to the king's room and said to him, Look, we saved your life today and the lives of your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your concubines. Yet you act like this, making us feel ashamed of ourselves. You seem to love those who hate you and hate those who love you. You've made it clear today that your commanders and troops mean nothing to you. It seems that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died, you would, you would be pleased. Now go out there and congratulate your troops. For I swear by the Lord that if you don't go out, not a single one of them will remain here tonight. Then here's the heavy words. Then you will be worse off than ever before. David had a reason to be rejoicing, to be thankful. His people that followed him outnumbered laid their lives down for him and for his family and for the people that followed him. They got a great victory that day. The people were rallying now and understanding, wow, you know what? Our our leader, Absalom's gone, but David wasn't such a bad guy. Their hearts were turning to come back to David. David was on his way to his kingdom being reestablished, a great victory, congratulating his troops, thanking everybody, and rejoicing. However, his son had just died. Now, he had every right to grieve, but listen to me on this. We have every right to grieve at things that have been taken away in our lives, but if we focus and are consumed by that, we can be worse off than we ever were before. David had... He came this close to allowing depression and grief and loss over his son consume his whole entire world, and he would have negated the whole victory and the blessing and the goodness of all of the people that were with him, and he would have been worse off than ever before. He would have had no one. See, I think in our lives sometimes we have to experience the pain of the loss and the things that have happened to us. We can't ignore it. We don't make light of it. We don't just, oh, well, God's good. He's in control. We got to grieve. We got to hurt for that stuff. But there's a point at which we have to say, I gotta rely on you, God, because I gotta get out of this pit. Because if I stay in despair and anxiety and bitterness and depression and fear, I'm gonna cripple myself and handcuff myself and I'm gonna put myself in a prison for the rest of my life and I'll never experience your blessing ever again because the negative will have outweighed all of the good that's going on in my life. And that's a dark place that nobody wants to live their lives in. I believe when he's saying, be thankful, part of what he's saying, be thankful is, you can go through the storms, but you got to focus on what's good, and it'll help bring you out of the storms. Now, I'm speaking from personal experience on this, okay? It's not like, oh yeah, pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. It's so easy to say, be thankful when hard stuff happens. I'll tell you something, I went through a season of my life, past season of my life, as I transitioned to lead pastor of this church, thought it was a good thing, but I got worked I got attacked, I got slandered against, I got lied about, I got criticized against by people I would have never expected to be my biggest critics. And it was lies and it was wrong. And it hurt me bad. I had to go on, you guys know, I had to go on a sabbatical for a few months. My family was in upheaval. My wife and I, our marriage was on the line. We didn't even know if we were even gonna be married. Stuff was freaking us out, rattling us. It wasn't stuff that we had necessarily deliberately done to each other, but it's stuff that had gone on. I'm not gonna go into details. But let me just say, my marriage was on the line. My family was on the line. My job as a pastor of this church was on the line. People were talking like, well, Carl, you know, here, if you can't get through this, this is, we can move you to another state. We can do all this. I'm like, what? Everything was on the line. My calling, who I was, my own credibility to who I am as a person was put in question. My confidence, my security, I just full of insecurity, full of lack of confidence, no belief in myself. I was in a dark place, and I was there for a while, and it... I was mad at people that had put me there. But on the other hand, God said, I don't want you to fight back. I don't want you to come down to their level and to get into that. You know it's not true. So you just love your church and you love your family and you just heal where you need to heal. So I couldn't even fight for myself because God said, no, the integrous thing to do is not to fight and to slander and fight back. You just sit there and you just hold on to me. Let me tell you this. I was shaken to my core. I, I didn't know if I was gonna come back. I didn't know if I, who I was as a man a husband, a father, a pastor, a friend. I just, everything was, was in turmoil. And I was dealing with all of these, these attacks. No sleep. I wasn't eating well. You guys saw me getting skinny, the whole deal. It was, it was bad. Went to counseling and therapy and a bunch of stuff and sabbatical. And in the midst of it, I'm going to tell you this. One of the things that helped me, because there's no quick solution when you get hurt this bad. No quick solution at all. This is a process. And we're walking out of it. We're walking through it. And I think the winter is kind of starting to break away to spring a little bit in our lives, and we're happy for that. My family, myself, my staff, the church. But it was bad. Finances left, people lost credibility in our church. Several hundred people left our church in this time. And with that went their tithes, because you guys know we operate only by your generous giving. So we had to lay staff members off. The whole staff across the board took benefit cuts and everything. It was very fearful, ugly, scary, scary times but in the midst of that God taught me this one day he said you know what just just focus on the stuff that I've given you be thankful for the good stuff that you still have in light of all that's been taken away I know you've been hurt Carl I know everything's been stripped away would you just focus on the good stuff and I started to make lists in my phone on my notes God my family is just in turmoil but I thank you for my wife gotta love my wife I'm thankful for my kids I'm thankful for my staff that stuck with me and took hits with me but had my back God I'm thankful for all the people that are still in the church standing by me that haven't left and retreated based on lies that they had heard God, I'm thankful for who I am as a man. I still have giftings. In this process, I'm like, I don't want to ever be a pastor again. This sucks. This is terrible. No one should be a pastor because of this. But God reaffirmed to me, I'm called to this church. I'm called to this place. I'm called to ministry. I have to do it. I can't get away from it. And I'm not, I'm not saying this, I'm really not saying this to try to get an applause or anything. I'm saying that, When I began to make a list of the things that I'm thankful for and the good things that are still going on in my life, God actually can use the good things in your life to bring healing to the broken things if you focus on them instead of on the negative. Are you guys hearing me? He wants to use the good things, but if I kept myself in that place, I would have been in bondage for the rest of my life and I wouldn't be your pastor here today. It was bad. It was super bad. He goes, just. Count the good things. Count the wins. Focus on the people that got your back and love you. There's more of them than the other guys that are out there. And focus on what I'm doing. And you know what happened? I began to slowly, and I'm still working on it. I'm not there. I'm not perfect. Getting my confidence back becoming a better preacher, actually. I have more compassion. I have more intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Before it was about, oh, the Holy Spirit's there. I'll tap into him once in a while. Gifts and manifestations, sensationalism, all that. It's not about that. It's about who he is personally to me as my intimate, holy, personal best friend and guide and comforter in my life. And I began to have that relationship renewed in my life. And a whole bunch of stuff started happening and I started becoming better. And I'm not saying that being thankful is the only way that's gonna pull you out of the depths. But it sure was a great tool that began to let me get my mind on the things of God and that He's doing a lot of good in my life. And if I focus on the good, then slowly some of that bad is going to start to get dealt with and go away. And I can leave it back in the past, and I can focus on my present and my future. There is good out there. I just need to focus on that and not the negative. Is that, is that a good word that speaks to you guys this morning? And so... I found peace, my confidence is building, I'm, I'm coming back, you know, I, I, I speak with confidence. I was at a pastor's meeting the other day where it's, it's called the Hawaii Pastors Roundtable and it's full of all the big shots and the big wigs and the guys that, are, that I respect and I look up to and I go, man, they're doing awesome stuff for the kingdom in the state of Hawaii. But I used to go to those meetings so intimidated, wouldn't say a word, eat my lunch, pray with them, I nod and agree, I'm like, yeah, cool oh man, you guys are gnarly, you know, like, wow, you did so much here, and you know, all of these cool guys in in the faith, Um, and I went the other day, and I, I let out in prayer, hey, any volunteers want to open it, and I just, boom, and I prayed, and I spoke up in the meeting, and I spoke to different things, and I gave my opinion, and I'm going, oh God, something in me is changing, I realize I got a seat at the table again because you're a good God. You're doing good stuff in my life. I need to stop focusing on the broken, messed up stuff that has happened. I'm not that guy. I don't need to be that guy. I choose not to be that guy. I don't care what everybody else is saying. There's enough people and there's you, God, and you believe in me. So I can focus on the good and it can bring healing to the bad stuff. And so that's, that's the, the thing that I think about being thankful is it was, we need to remember that the good is happening in your life. I don't care how bad your life has been. Good is there. And the last thing that he says is that for for us to have unshakable lives is that we should worship with holy fear and awe because life gets shaky when we think too highly of ourselves. When we think too highly and we think we know better than God and we want to do all of that, life gets shaky. My plans, my timing, my decisions are not as good as God's. And I have to trust his, but I have to work at worshiping and serving him in my life from a spirit of holy fear and of reverence for God. You know, it says that in in Hebrews 5, 7, while Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers. Why? Because of his deep reverence for God, holy fear and awe. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things that he suffered. It's saying, I'm going to live my life base my decisions on, the words that come out of my mouth on the fact that God is bigger and he's better than me. I was taught when I was like about a seventh grader by my my junior high youth pastor, here's how you pray so that you cover all the bases. You pray the acts prayer, A-C-T-S. Some of you guys are familiar with this. Here's how you pray to cover all the bases with God. A, adoration. You take time to just adore God, humble yourself in holy fear and go, God, you're the man. God, I praise you. God, you're big, I'm small, I'm nothing. God, it's all about you, I praise you. Adore him, adoration is A. C is confession, confess what you've done wrong. T, thanksgiving, thank you God for all of this stuff you've given me, be thankful. S is supplication, here's the supplies I need, here's the stuff I need you to give me. But you know what's first on the list? Adoration, live a life of worshipful, holy fear and awe. You are a big God, you don't, and this is what I wrote down to myself, is that humbly remember, like God doesn't need you, but he really wants you. God doesn't need you, but man, he really, really wants you. That keeps me living my life and walking and speaking in a, in a kind of humble, holy fear that just says, God, is all about you here. I know you don't even need me, but you love me and you chose me and you want me. That's heavy. That brings me to my knees. When I get in worship here, I worship. I'm not singing songs, and I don't care if the songs are relevant to today, or I don't like the style, or I don't like the guitar, or the bass, or whatever. The content of those songs, the words of those songs, are spiritual truth for my life. And guess what? It's not about me anyway. Worship is not for me. Do you understand that? When we come here to sing, I don't care if you feel good or not. It's not for you anyway. It's for God. The focus is on God. So I don't like this song. God's going, oh, so you're going to withhold worship from me because you don't feel good? Who are the songs two and four? Oh, yeah. See, when I come in here, hands raised, eyes closed, tears, whatever, just sitting here and going, I've got to live my life in holy fear of God. I'm not singing songs to get me all excited here today. I'm worshiping a God that is big and he's huge. And if I have a spirit of humility and I'm thankful for what he's given me, my life is going to be unshakable. Is that good? I hope that's a word for somebody here today. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you for for being the God of every situation, Lord, for allowing us to go through stuff and not be completely shaken to the point of collapsing. And God, that's a lot easier said than done. And, I, and I'm aware of that. I know that just in my own life, it's a process and it, it goes deep. But Lord, you've given us tools and what you, you put in scripture here today about just really listening to you and not to ourselves, about being thankful for the good stuff and not letting the bad stuff consume us and eat us up because then we'd be worse off than before. But also, Lord, about living humble lives after you. It's not about us. Get our eyes off of you, and we just gotta live in holy fear. You're a good and amazing God. You're the same God in the Old Testament as the new, but things have changed through Jesus, and man, we're thankful. We're blessed. So thank you for that, God, let us live unshakable lives. I pray that our church, Father God, would represent a group of unshakable people in this community. Lord, that people would know us, that Hope Chapel has made mistakes and they're not perfect people and they've gone through trials and tragedy and and testing and, and gossip and all of that, but for some reason, those people are still standing. They still live for God, they still put their hope in him. Lord, may we have that reputation in this town, Lord, in this state, on this island, in this world, Lord, of being people that are serving an unshakable God and in return we become unshakable people. Lord, I pray for that. I want to pray right now if there's anybody that's never made a commitment to Jesus Christ before. You've never really prayed a prayer to become a Christian, but you're at the point in life where you see the value and you know you want something to change. Life isn't turning out the way you wanted it to and you believe that God has a plan and he could do some big stuff in your life. Starts with a simple decision to acknowledge what Jesus Christ did for you and to invite him him to be Lord of your life, to turn away from the way you've been living for your own thoughts and and decisions and to say, God, I repent, I turn away from that and I I allow you to be the Lord of my life. And we're just gonna pray that prayer right now because I wanna give an opportunity for anybody in the room you may have never prayed that prayer before. And so if that's something you'd like to do, where you're you're changing eternity here right now, the rest of your destiny and life, if that's a prayer that you'd like to pray, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray a prayer out loud. I'm gonna say it with you and for you. I'm gonna ask you when I pray out loud that you would pray it quietly in your heart of hearts. And I know that we need to confess it with our, our mouth, but we first step need to believe it in our hearts, what's really going on here. And so as you pray the, the words along with me, you pray it in your heart, I'll pray it out loud. God's gonna begin to do something. He's gonna begin to, to be your God. After service, you can go and confess it. Say it out loud. Man, I prayed that prayer today. I confess I'm a Christian now. Go tell someone that you came with. Let them know because they're going to be excited with you. But right now, we're going to say a prayer of the heart. And if you want to pray this prayer to say, I want God to be my God. I want to be a Christian. I want to follow Jesus Christ. I'm going to I'm going to pray in a minute here out loud. And you just pray quietly in your heart. But I want to ask who's praying with me. So with everybody's got their heads bowed and their eyes closed, I'm just going to count to three. And if this is a prayer that you want to pray with me, praise God. When I I count to three, would you raise your hand just to let me know, hey, Pastor, I want to pray that with you here today. And then we'll go on from there, and we'll pray together, and God's going to start a new work in your life. But I just want to know who I'm praying with. So on the count of three, if that's you, just lift a hand. One, two, three two, three. Is there anybody here today? I see one hand, two, three, four. I'm looking around five. Thank you, Father God. I see at least five hands, six, someone in the back looking around. If I don't see you, no worries. God got you. We see you. Amen. Put your hands on and just pray this with me. Mean it from your heart. God judges us on our hearts. He's listening. Here's the prayer. Disagree with me in what I'm saying for you. God, I'm here today and I want you. I need you. But I realize my life is not that great when I'm in in control and running it for myself. So Lord, I believe that you've got a plan to make my life better, to help me out, to give me the best life possible. But I believe that it starts with, with me confessing that I believe in your son, Jesus Christ, and what he did 2,000 years ago on a cross for me. He came down, he took the hit so I don't have to. That he went to the cross to pay the price for my separation from you, God, for me living my own life. It's called sin, just living on my own, missing the mark, not following what you want for my life. Jesus went to the cross to pay the price for that. He didn't deserve it, but he did it for me and everyone that would call upon his name and believe in him. So Lord, I'm telling you in my heart right now, I absolutely believe that truth. Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for me. Then he did the impossible. On the third day, he rose from the dead, proving he's the son of God, proving he had all authority over death and sin and guilt and shame and all the baggage in my life. Lord, he offers me forgiveness through that and eternal life with you through that. Lord, I believe that. I receive it, and from this moment on, I will live it. As I get a Bible and start understanding who you are, as I begin to pray and talk to you, as I keep going to church to be surrounded by the body of Christ, Lord, as I I get water baptized to symbolize what's going on in my life, as I welcome your Holy Spirit's presence in me as a temple, guiding me, empowering me, helping me out, Lord. Everything that you have for me, I may not understand it all right now, but my answer is yes. Lord, I'm going to press in. I'm going to follow you. Thank you for being my God, starting right here, right now. I follow you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can we praise God for those people right now real quick? Amen. Amen.